Hi, welcome to the HRD Live podcast. I'm Finn Murphy from HRD Connect, and I'll be your host. This conversation was adapted from a remote recording, so please note the audio quality may fluctuate slightly from time to time. My guest for this interview was Yinka Openai, HR Director for Game Analytics, the industry's market leader. In this conversation, we discuss the key concerns for building an effective remote working culture, from efficient communication to sectoral differences, the pace of change, and much more. Enjoy the podcast. So, Yinka, in this podcast, we're going to delve into issues around the long read you submitted to HRD Connect, which is based on building a remote-first company culture. What inspired this for you as a practitioner? What were your key findings? And what do you believe is the broader context we should be aware of? So, as, as you just said with the introduction, my name is Yinka and I work as the group HR director for a company called Game Analytics. And we deal with the people data for gamers. Um, for, and we, we help game developers understand more about the players of their games that they've designed or created. Now, as a company, we've been relatively quick off the market when it came to dealing with COVID-19. We have put a lot of effort in the HR and admin team in how we communicate with people and in, with our team, asking them what it is that they, they need and they would like from us. And we found out quite early on that a significant portion of our team in the London office wanted to actually continue working from home almost indefinitely. Now, this idea of working fully remote is not new. It's existed before um, in companies like uh, Automatic and also, hello? Yep. Um, in companies like Automatic and also in, um, in GitHub, for example. But there isn't exactly a blueprint, and I wanted to fully explore that, um, how exactly this can be done. All the books that have been written, they've been written by founders, they've been written by predominantly by technologists. Right. So they're a good one. There are a couple of very good books, but they don't actually deal with the full element of what it means to build an organization from the people perspective um, and turn it into a remote into a remote type um, situation. They forget that people aren't robots, that having the greatest tools for communication doesn't deal with the feelings, doesn't deal with the complexities and the black box that is a number of employees. And the second big aspect, of course, is that we're dealing with a very stressful situation with the coronavirus. And so that's obviously a new thing that we need to think about. And I was hoping that this article would be able to update what these companies have done in it when they were doing all this in the in the early 20 2020s no not early 2020s in the early 20s um and also in the the late 90s as it were and also as i said incorporate that people perspective hence the the article itself i see i, I think that's a uh... I think it's a fantastic summary. And I suppose from your findings, what did you feel that the strategies that were in place were sufficient to deal with the new challenges that have emerged for businesses and employees? So a number of the older strategies that had been put forward to create a remote organization were very good in dealing with, they, they've dealt a lot with communication. They, they There were some policies on 
when to use certain tools for communication, when to rely, for example, on Slack, when to rely on Yammer, when to rely on email and various ways of which, by which to communicate. But um, as I said, they didn't really deal with the human element, the emotional side, how to deal with an employee that's maybe stressed, how to deal with an employee, employee's isolation, how to deal with employees that have increased levels of anxiety. Right. Very, very unfortunate because I said those have increased during this pandemic. But since then, we've had a lot of information from the field of psychology in general, from HR, HRM, also from sociology, from neuro, neuroscience on how to support employees better, how to create psychological safety, how to improve employee engagement. And that's what I was bringing into this article by some of the things I mentioned, particularly around the additional support services that you provide, uh, that an HR team needs to provide for remote, remote workers. What could the differences in remote working be in different countries and cultures? Yes, yeah, that's, that's quite interesting. Now, if you, if you look at some of the data that existed pre, prior to the lockdown, there were different levels of take up of remote working. It was much more in certain countries than in others. And this is for a number of different factors. It is partly for, I would say, softer factors, like um, the general culture of those of those um, nations or nationalities. So for example, one very um, important or famous study looks at high and low context cultures, how cultures communicate, whether they communicate in a much richer setting or whether there is a need to really explain things and to be very, very precise, or whether it is a type of organization and um, type of nation or nationality that doesn't need to be so precise with timings and things. And we found that in it, that cultures that have that high context, where they're very specific, where there is this need for precision seem to do better and have much higher take-ups naturally for remote working because they don't rely so much on um, because people can always look back at the notes of, of anything that has been agreed or anything that's been discussed that really helps whereas low context cultures where you're relying a lot on trust that is a bit more difficult when you can't see the person's face, when you are relying solely on their voice in some situations for long periods of time, where you can't shake hands, especially with in this current in this current climate, um, and this makes the take up of um, of remote working relatively low. It just so happens there is a correlation between high context and low context countries and the level of wealth. So I saw recently um, a statistic or something which we don't think about so much in the global in the global north or within slightly wealthier nations is the cost of something like internet or the or mobile phone data. Right. We kind of take that because a lot of us have unlimited data so we can have lots of these zoom meters and so forth whereas it doesn't really exist for many countries in sub-saharan africa and also in latam and um, latin america so they are also going to have more difficulty with remote working so it's trying to take those into context or into account when we're creating a remote working environment or remote working 
culture for, for companies. I think that's quite an interesting point to raise in relation to remote working in that I suppose when it comes down to the, uh, the individual company or indeed the nation, they're not all starting from the same point. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, it's it's very, very different in terms of, as I said, in terms of take up, in terms of the technology which already exists and is already embedded, in terms of the strength of the of broadband which exists for different places wherever you are. So it's, you know, it's, it's something that companies need to think about. It can be taken for granted in a number of Western countries, but not so for countries in, in other locations. How do different types of workplaces adapt to remote working? When I was uh, when I was studying, we used the example of a widget factory. Um, so it's not possible, for example, to create a remote widget factory. Remote working or remote culture only really works for knowledge type of roles, which is in engineering and software development, in technologies, and in roles like mine in HR and in law and so forth. So again, there is that there is that divide, that automatic divide as to whether it's possible or not. And one of the things that, that has been mentioned is as a possible consequence of this creating a remote working culture and the pandemic speeding this up is that we have seen a slight um, divide or bifurcation of the um, of the job market between those knowledge and workers that need to actually be present we have noticed that there's an increase in the in the wealth gap and there has been an increase in the in the the poor mental health of those individuals that are unable to maintain work when when being done remotely basically which is quite unfortunate does a shift to remote working change how companies view their teams yeah, 100%, 100%. Um, companies need to put forward, they need to start thinking of employees from a much more, um, think of it like a customer-centric type of type of thinking. And so what I would suggest is going back to the idea of cafeteria type of benefits, a suite of benefits that remote workers may be able to choose from, but having a good solid base and what I mean by that is you may have a good solid base by training some of your more visible workers. So right. that might be for people within the HR team on mental health first aid, for example. So they'll be able to understand some of the signs. They'll be able to pick up when an individual is going through stress and they would be able to de-escalate or work with that employee to de-escalate and similarly a manager will be able to pick up these things however as an extra benefit you might have some apps that an organization subscribes to or some services whereby an individual should they want to can actually then dip into themselves in their own time to deal with some of these stresses that they may be feeling that you as a company don't know about because you don't see them face to face as you would in a traditional company so that's something that I would really emphasize as much as some foundation um, level in terms of benefits, but also allow people to be able to customize it for them, for their unique situations and personalities or characters. What do you think are the most effective strategies for communication to teams? Yes, I would say the first 
thing very, very simply would be the language or languages used and understanding that if there is going to be a main language used by the company that um, maybe consider the translation services to make it that much easier and much more accessible for some employees based elsewhere, especially there is not so much cross-communication between locations. Something else I would strongly suggest as well, which would obviously make a, a bit of an impact, is to look at a communication strategy. So to for everybody, as much as possible, to use the, the same tools and for each of those tools to have some guidelines as to how best they, how they're used within that company. And lastly, I would say is to think about how different nationalities and different cultures may interpret some of the things that the company is doing or is saying. Engage with, with, local, with local staff and local teams, asking them, what is your interpretation of this? What does this mean to you? To ensure that they understand what it is that the company is trying to achieve. It is often presumed that everybody has the same interpretation or the same understanding of a concept when really that doesn't happen. And we don't want to let these, what could be minor differences in interpretation, blow up to be so much more into things that make people feel uneasy or things that make people feel like the company doesn't care for them, doesn't think about them and end up leaving because that could be another, another issue within remote working and um, it's retention, employee retention. So it's communicating to everybody uh, on a whole with a, a unified message, but tailoring this message as well to a certain degree for the different locations and making sure those different locations understand the core of what the message is trying to say from the company. Okay, I see. And um, in addition to that, a key theme that you know is socialization when particularly when people come into a company. And what do you think would be sort of the key risks and opportunities and considerations that a business would have to consider in their socialization strategy um, in remote working? A couple of things that you need to think about with that. Again, I would say it's important to have um, the values of the organization be standardized yeah. so that everybody that comes into the organization is at least um, tied together or there is something that creates a sense of unity with people wherever they're based, even if they are remote. But there is also a bit of tailored, there's a tailored aspect to it for that person's role. And I said, that person's location. Right. And the individual to feel during the induction process that even if you are on your own, like there's nobody around you, you are not left alone and you're not left with that feeling of being isolated. So creating, creating situations of engagement within the first week, this is what you are to expect. And these are the people that will contact you within the first two weeks. This is what you'd expect. And within the first month, this is what you should have achieved a very structured process as well. During that socialization process, you need to be very careful because so many things can slip through the cracks. Whereas if you saw them face to face, you could see, oh, actually this person is missing this particular equipment. Or it seems that they're lost, so you could ask them. 
how are things going? Those don't exist anymore within a remote setting. So you need to be much tighter with the socialization or induction process. And the second main thing would be to think of the atypical worker. Think of younger people joining the organization, entry-level roles. These are the people that would need greater support. What type of extra support will you be providing for them? Will you be providing a mentor how long will that mentor be with that person? How will that mentor support them? Similarly, if you're getting an individual who is maybe coming back into the world of work from care and responsibilities or from a break in their career for whatever reason, education, for example, how are you going to build up that person's courage as within their first few months into the world of work. Or if you're bringing back somebody who's come from maybe retirement, a senior employee, a senior worker, how exactly are you going to support that person with areas that they may not be so current in, such as newer technologies which have been developed when they were out of the job market? That's a um, fantastic summary of that. Socialization, I think that basically comes down to, even though you mentioned quite good depth, the, um, whether there are any additional considerations for support um, for new or existing workers, um, the key challenges, risks, and opportunities that businesses need to consider. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest people don't recognize that one of the biggest risks that companies face is after, immediately after the recruitment and selection process, the onboarding and induction. That's when you notice like a huge number of people leave. People tend to leave within the first six months to a year. That's if they haven't been embedded into the organization properly, if they don't feel like they belong, if the role that they were sold during the recruitment process differs significantly from what they are actually doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And the second time is people tend to leave around their anniversary um, time period. So if you at least focus on the first, because with the anniversary one, that's a bit more complicated. Um, but if you focus on making sure that they have a good onboarding process, that person was sold a position, which is very much like the actual one, that person understands what's expected of them, they feel supported, they don't feel alone and isolated, and they have all the tools, software, and the people around them to actually be successful at their job, then you at least alleviate that risk. The second risk, of course, is then to do with data and information, which is so much more, it's heightened when people are working remotely. I don't think that, I think that's something else we, we kind of take for granted, that if you're all working within the same building and in the same office, it's much easier to deal with data security than if you're dealing with people that are based potentially anywhere and everywhere. What are your key strategic considerations for the year ahead? Uh, the biggest one, I think, like everybody else, is at the, the first I would say is to do with Brexit. Um, uh, let me let me actually go back. I'll say it's maybe to do with the aftermath of co the coronavirus. The best case scenario is that we are we get back to some kind of normality by the end of the first quarter. 
I am giving the government some leeway in the UK um, to make a few mistakes and I'm giving them until the end of the second quarter until, you know, in, if they're just to like mess up a bit. So they have an extra three months. And in that time, it's again about building psychological, greater psychological safety with our staff members that, you know, here is the new strategy for how we're dealing with remote workers if you do want to come together to meet and to work in a different space than within your home. It's about creating business processes so people don't feel at a loss because they no longer have that centralized office space to go to anymore. Those are things that I'll be concentrating on. I think other companies should be concentrating on too if they're going fully remote. If not, it is about coaxing people back into the world of work. The UK traditionally has had much lower rates of remote working than the rest of Europe. And so we are going to catch up with that by a few percentages. There's certainly going to be a noticeable increase of people demanding more remote working because they've seen it, they've tried it, and they've enjoyed it. The second thing that I'm going to be focusing on would be the aftermath of Brexit. We can't forget that Brexit is still happening and it's made things a lot more complicated because we have individuals who, who might want to go back to their home country, for example, and they would think, well, can I work remotely from wherever my home country is? Because I don't feel as safe in the UK. That's a that's a common difficulty. I've noticed that it's become a bit more. Um, there is also the due diligence needed to gather information on the current workforce for their settlement status. So it's having that data uh, available. There is also the slight difficulty that I've begun begun to notice in recruiting from the EU markets. Many people are just no longer that interested in coming to the UK until things are, are fully settled. And so we need to do some education for the wider EU labor force if we want to bring them to work in the UK, say, this is, what, this is how things are going to be. And also it's looking at the new process in terms of immigration, the new point system. What exactly does that mean for us? And it's, it's a lot more complicated than it previously was, but at the same time, it's a lot easier now to bring people over to work in the UK, not just from the EU, but from the world as a whole. So there are more opportunities there for right. the company. Oh, no, I think um, those all are quite pressing considerations. I think that uh, you know, remote working is not, uh, not gonna go anywhere anytime soon. Do you... No, no. <laughs> Do you think, do you foresee perhaps changes in remote culture or remote working could be how businesses reconcile this with some sort of hybrid workplace in the time to come? Yes, I think the majority of companies are not going to become fully remote. What we'll probably notice is more of a hybrid situation whereby many companies will retain their offices but a significant proportion of their people will start making requests for remote working or will start working or will just start taking a few more days to work remotely from home. If they, because if they've been successful in doing this for several months, then taking a few days or a few more days every within the, 
within each month is not going to be as much of a chore. They're used to it. I enjoyed it. I was able to take advantage of several things that I wasn't able to do were I to work in, in the office. So I want to continue that aspect. I like the variety of working from home and also from an office. I don't miss the commute. So let me take more of an advantage. And I think companies need to look at that. How can we ensure that this new hybrid system, this new increase in remote working, we're not going to, it's not going to come at the expense of data security. It's not going to come at the expense of the organization culture. It's not going to come at the expense of, of implicit learning or teamwork. Those things really need to be taken into consideration. And I would say it's something else which isn't, which hasn't taken, which hasn't really been discussed so much is, is our offering as an organization, especially when it comes to like comps and benefits, is that still applicable in this new remote working environment or in this new hybrid working environment? Office snacks, they're not going to, it's no longer so much of a selling factor, neither are cycle to work schemes. Right. Of course, be useful but they just they just don't sell or they're just not as enticing as they previously were in a in a non-remote working environment i think that's a fantastic summary of the key themes that hr leaders should be aware of and on the topic of remote first company culture at large thanks so much for your time today inca to keep up to date with the hrd live podcast make sure to check out our website twitter linkedin and our linkedin group where you can network with fellow HR leaders. Thank you.